So Peggy, um, thank you for doing this. Every time I brought this up, someone was like, oh, she's going to be great. And you've already delivered on the goods there, Peggy, so thank you. Um, I'll go ahead and go down this side. If you guys want to speak for yourselves, you can kind of pass the mic around and introduce uh, the Bridge Builders members since we've already done that for the Hope class. Uh, so Michael, if you want to start just very quickly, what your name is, what you do, and how long you've been in Highland. Hello, I'm Michael Maxwell. Um, I'm a corporate controller for a property management company, and we've been at Highland, I don't know, 10, 9, 10 years. I'm Jessica Maxwell, married to Michael, and uh, I'm a, I work part-time. I'm a speech pathologist, and yeah, been here about nine-ish years. <clears throat> Uh, I'm Dudley Carter. I'm a CPA by trade. I'm currently an economic analyst at a, a broker-dealer here in town, um, and I've been here for 10 years. I'm Martha Carter, Martha Glenn Carter. I've been here my whole life, <laughs> um, and together we've been here for 10 years. But I say I've been here Fantastic. Um, I wanted to start a little bit. Uh, there's an article I was reading uh, yesterday by Tim Keller. You probably know Tim Keller, um, really well-respected theologian and author and formerly preacher. And he's talking on this idea of three ways to pass on faith to the next generation. And I think that's kind of the idea of what this has been about, is that, of course, when we hear passing on faith, we think as parents, how do we pass on faith to our kids? But I really think that one thing that's lost is we've discussed, you know, being siloed into little groups is, well, screen went away, um, is this idea that you, you lose out on what the Bible was sort of getting at. And so in Deuteronomy, it talks about, um, you know, kind of passing these things on down to your children. There's some verses that David and Eric shared in the first week on uh, how we should learn from the older in our generation. And you kind of lose that. And so as parents, if you don't have grandparents around, you're just sort of on your own. It is difficult to do that. And so... There are three key things, and so as we, you know, we try to learn from the older among us, and as you try to learn from the younger and vice versa, these are all ways we can pass on faith. So he said there are three things that are key. The first is to love God passionately. Um, I think that especially with younger people, it's very easy to see in your parents or in other church members uh, when they're being hypocritical or inconsistent. And so if we love God only sort of in name but not in reality, uh, we're not passionate about that. Uh, it's not going to be possible to pass on faith. The next thing is to apply the gospel practically. And this is the idea that we can't just be academic or abstract about our faith. And so it's certainly easy to, to kind of understand what we believe and to kind of have it spelled out and maybe understand the steps of salvation or what the gospel is from a theological standpoint. But if we don't practically live it out every day, it's going to be impossible to pass our faith on. And then lastly, to give our testimony personally. I've grown up in the church my whole life, and I've known people that, that they love God passionately, okay, that they apply the gospel practically, but in some ways they're robotic. They won't share sort of personally what it is they struggle with. And maybe there are a couple people you've known that are just, man, they're just great people. They're just really good people. But I think all of us struggle with doubt or we struggle with sin. And um, if we're not personal about that, if we don't give our testimony and live that out, um, it, it sort of undoes the whole thing. And so as we kind of live and we grow uh, with each other, both young and old, and as we raise our kids, I think these are three great ways to make sure that, the, uh, that our faith is passed on. Um, so let's kind of jump into the panel. We've already introduced everyone, so I think you already know everybody. I'm going to switch over to this mic. 
Um, and we're going to jump in with one question. This is going to be directed straight to the HOPE class. We'll try and keep our answers short. We'll see how this goes. If we've got interesting rabbit holes, we'll chase down them. Uh, but the first question is, what's something you know now that you wish you had realized sooner about faith in the church? Looks like Alan's jumping on it. Yes, I guess <clears throat> what I feel like I came to know sometime in my 30s was that... Uh, Life and faith and the issues that arise in our lives are a lot more complicated than I used to think that they were. Okay. Well, I think that I am so glad that we're putting emphasis on grace now instead of converting people to a doctrine. Mm -hmm. I think that's when I first became a member of the Church of Christ, I was 18. And it was mostly doctrine, but um, we've moved from that, I think, and that's a good thing. Um, I think what I've realized is that um, most of all, God's grace is sufficient and that my walk with God may not look the same as somebody else's, and that's okay. Not surprisingly, Peggy took my answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, the fact that uh, we grew up in a very uh, relatively legalistic uh, era, I think, and that the, the whole concept of grace was not very much stressed, and so I'm glad to see what it is nowadays. So that's interesting. As we talk about the difference between our two generations, we, we always kind of talk about this idea of a pendulum swing. And I think the pendulum has swung. If there's a criticism of the church today, it's swung too far towards only talking about grace. Um, and that's... Not entirely true, but I think if you, you know, if the first thing you would say is, well, it was too legalistic, it was too focused on doctrine, it was too focused on sin, perhaps, or things like that, um, you might could say that it's in the other direction, which is natural, because we, we go as far as we can on one side, and then we want to swing it over to the other side. Um, probably somewhere in the middle is more appropriate, you know, so kind of the full understanding of, of, of God and the full understanding of both his justice and his holiness, but also his grace and his mercy and his love. So... That's, that's great perspective. Um, so I'll say we don't all have to answer if you don't want to. Don't all have to. It was great. You all did awesome with that. So second question. This will be for the bridge builders. Uh, what's your biggest worry about growing older from a spiritual perspective? Uh, for me, when I kind of think about my life in general and, and growing older, I sort of uh, um, assume that my relationship with Christ is going to grow over time. And it's going to evolve. And it's going to become something greater and more powerful and stronger and I guess one of my biggest fears is looking back five or ten years and thinking man I, I haven't grown a bit like I, what I thought was working isn't working same um, I think my greatest fear would just be that uh, we get so distracted by things that we think are really important like parenting and raising our kids which obviously are but that that becomes the most important thing and that I don't grow personally and um, with God. And Michael and I come to the chapel service on Wednesday nights every other week when our small group isn't meeting. And uh, one thing I love is that there's like a group of people multiple generations older than us that still make that commitment to come and learn and study the word every single week. <laughs> Um, I think mine would be to look back one day and, and have a case of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Um, and so what I mean by that is I think one of the risks from, from our generation, for our class, is that uh, the phase that we're in requires us to spend so much time at work 
and <coughs> raising our kids. And I think that those are God-given gifts. I think if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, work is good and having kids is good. We're called to be fruitful, multiply, have a bunch of babies, fill the earth and subdue it. So work. Um, but I also think that underlying all of that is that we're called to glorify God. So I think the risk is not in the fact that these are bad things that we're focused on spending our time on. It's that uh, we create this divide. We have a tendency to create this divide between working and raising our kids and worship. And I think when you do that, if you go to, I love Psalms 104. So if you read Psalm 104, it's this uh, beautiful picture of how God created things to be this certain way. And I think underlying that rhythm is this continuous act uh, of worship, and so if you're not worshiping at work, if you're not worshiping as you raise your kids, and you only worship in these pockets where you have free time, you're not going to work well. You're not going to uh, parent well, and and ultimately you're not going to worship well. And so I think my biggest fear is to look back and see that and my spiritual maturation is, is kind of falling short of what it could have been. As you can tell, they had the questions in advance, so that was <laughs> if that had been off the cuff. <laughs> um, so a little bit simpler question, and we'll try and do this quickly. Um, what's your, and that was a great answer, Dudley. What's your favorite Bible verse, story, or section of scripture? We'll start with the whole class. That's okay. um, something that I read in Esther. Esther's an amazing book. Um, doesn't mention God, interestingly enough, and yet there's a passage in there where um, Esther's uncle Mordecai, if you know the story, tells her that he's found this plot. They're going to kill the Jews in Persia modern-day uh, Iran, and he says, uh, you're the queen, say something to the king about it. She says, well, I have to be invited to come talk to the king. If I just go in there and say, hey, I need to talk to you, he can have me killed. And he says, you've got to do this. And he says something along the lines of, who knows, but maybe you've come to the kingdom for this very purpose. And I tend to apply that more than just being a you know, young woman in a, in a harem or in a king's palace. But whatever your situation in life, maybe it's a bad situation, maybe you've come to the kingdom for that very purpose, for that very reason. And I find it encouraging. My favorite scripture um, right now in my life is 2 Corinthians uh, 4.16 uh, through 18 that talks about don't lose heart. Uh, this is just temporary. Sure. My favorite story is the one of Nehemiah building the wall. He was so determined to do his job that he didn't let criticism, ridicule, even people told him lies to deceive him, to get him to quit working. But he had a job to do, and he kept doing it. And the thing that scares me, I'd like to add a little bit to their, um, as getting older, is living in a time when I might be persecuted for my faith. I've never had to face that. I don't think any of us have, but when I was reading this week about uh, the guy that's in India, that's, what's his name? Hoppy something. Manny Hagnapali. I'm glad you said it. Glad you did. And the, the people in India that have, are losing everything because of becoming Christians, we really need to remember them and our prayers. And I don't know how I would handle something like that. I, I pray I'm never faced with it. Since, uh, I guess since I was 44, <coughs> I, I remember because that year I sunk into a fairly deep depression for about six months, which I would have up to that time thought was something impossible for to happen to me because Nancy would say, you don't ever get depressed, you're never sad, you're never unhappy. Well, I was. 
and it changed my view of life in many ways. But in Philippians chapter 4, Paul encourages us to not be anxious, but with thanksgiving to lay our prayers and petitions before God, and that uh, we can receive God's peace. Great. All right, Rich Builders, any question? Uh, for me, it's the story of Moses and the exodus of God's people from uh, Pharaoh as slaves. And I had heard this story my whole life. Obviously, it's a great uh, BBS story. But um, when we moved back to Memphis after college, which is like 10 years ago, I did Bible study fellowship, which is a really intense study of the Bible. And it's non-denominational, so you're just studying the Bible. And with, like, no outside opinions of anything. And um, I think studying that so in-depth made me see that humankind has been the same since the Garden. And I had always been overwhelmed studying the Old Testament because it seemed old and unrelatable and really historical, but really we are exactly like the Israelites were when they were in the desert. Um, but the best part is that we have Jesus and we don't have to live in that life and captivity that they did. So mine's an Exodus story about the Israelites. We didn't talk about this before, not that. Um, so one of my favorite verses is um, Exodus 13, 21. By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And it's just a really visual reminder that there's literally no place that we can go that God isn't already. So like when things come up and new jobs and more kids and changing schools and like God is already there. He's already there working. He's already there giving you what you need to get through it. I really like the entire book of Daniel. I, I draw a lot of parallels with Daniel and I see a, I get a lot of inspiration from the book of Daniel. It's a young guy who gets taken captive out of his homeland and the entire book all he does is everything to the best of his ability for these foreign people that have taken him captive while never once uh, sacrificing his, his faith in, in God. And I just really, I like that one. That's awesome. So you may have noticed there were more Old Testament <laughs> than the New Testament. I think that's an interesting sort of uh, commentary that um, I would say of our generation, there are you know, phraseologies like, uh, I'm gonna be a red letter Christian, you know, which is to say in some degree that I'm going to listen to what Jesus says and not the other people. Um, guy in college that we knew that said that Jesus I don't have a problem with, but, but God I don't like. You know, that kind of a thing, which is ironic on multiple levels, right? Theologically, for sure. Um, and so I think it's interesting to hear like more Old Testament answers than New Testament. Um, we've been studying the Old Testament recently, and I think it's important to realize that both Testaments, you know, they weren't thought of as being divided. I mean, we've done that. But uh, it's one continuous story of God seeking a relationship with his people. Um, that doesn't just, you know, it's been said recently by a popular preacher that we should unhitch ourselves from Old Testament theology. He's later kind of backed off on that, but 
I think that's super wrong. I think that super misses the point of what the Old Testament's trying to say and, and to be. And God has not changed, and Jesus isn't the only one that speaks for us. And Jesus said a lot of difficult things, too, so um, I think that's great to hear Old Testament answers. Um, and your New Testament answer was okay, too. <laughs> uh, we'll forgive you for that. Mine is Romans 8, for what it's worth. But All right, so we'll move on to chapter, uh, question four. Let me just get a couple answers from each side on this, but how has your understanding of Scripture changed over time? Nobody wants to answer this one. We can go on to the next one. I would, I would just say that um, I don't... Obviously, a four-year-old that studies Noah and the Hope class studying Noah is going to be vastly different. Um, I don't know that my understanding has, of Scripture has changed more so than how I study the Scriptures has changed quite a bit and what I think of the Scriptures. Well, kind of what you were saying a second ago, um, I never was told that the whole Bible was one story. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention when I was a child. Um, but Dudley and I did a video thing, I guess it's like a lecture, um, called Clarifying the Bible, and this man, Mitch Mayer, walks you through the entire Bible, and you understand um, the beginning and the end and where everything fits into the historical timeline of uh, the Old Testament. So that really helped us understand a lot of things. And so then we can go to the Bible and understand, understand like, oh, the Psalms, well, you know, where they fit in. And anyway, it's been really, it was helpful for us. Sure. I, th I think perhaps, and maybe this is uh, more our experience, my experience, at least a number of people in our class, uh, we had everything figured out at an earlier point about Scripture. We had all the doctrines figured out, and we knew exactly how everything went. And we know less now than we knew then. <laughs> seems to be a theme that you guys keep going on. So um, I hope that our generation doesn't think that we're right either. Um, but I also fear that our generation thinks that you can't come upon truth. You know, there's that, again, pendulum swing. So you have a generation that thinks that they know everything, and everything's very black and white. And I fear kind of a generation of gray. Um, so... I, I, I kind of joked about the Old Testament, how if, if you only have read the New Testament, you're missing out on so much story. And there was an employee of mine that the first Star Wars movie they saw was that new one about Han Solo. It was the first one they've seen, which if you've watched those, it's probably the worst decision you can make because the entire movie depends on understanding the rest of the story. So if we only focus on the New Testament and don't realize the story started long before that, we, we miss out on a lot of the richness of it. Okay, so we'll move on to this, and this is a huge question, so we'll see where this goes. There may be some rabbit holes, um, and either side can start on this, but what are the most important questions or challenges facing the church today? We worked up to the hard question. Um, I think this is a big question, and I think you could answer it a hundred different ways. I, I saw a tweet the other day, so I'll just read it that I think touches on one of them. It says, we can be tempted, even as Christians, to feel as if we're being harsh for taking a biblical stance. It's as if you can't be biblical and loving. And this is why we need to listen to Jesus, the one in whom the terms biblical and loving fit together perfectly. So I think to me it, it, it seems that maybe this isn't a fair criticism of the church necessarily, but I do think it is a fair criticism of Christians individually, is that 
we either don't talk about the hard issues, we don't talk about the biblical truths that, that address homosexuality, gender fluidity, abortion, these big things that, that you are supposed to check at the door before you come in on Sunday mornings. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, that Jesus spoke on this. His whole ministry was going around telling the religious leaders and his disciples and his followers when they were misinterpreting scripture, when they weren't understanding the spirit um, of the law. And so I think as Christians, when we do avoid those topics, we do a disservice. But I also think on the other end of that, um, we typically, um, we too often get our megaphones and we're angry apologists and we go out and we, we yell from, our, from the soapbox that we're on. And um, I don't think that's the right way either. I saw somebody the other day say that to attack some, a non-Christian's religion or to attack a stance that somebody has on a certain issue and then to offer them the gospel as a cure is to like to cut somebody's nose off and then give them a rose and ask them to enjoy the fragrance. Um, and so I think that's a good example. Jesus, the difference is we can have truth. Jesus had truth. But then his response was so different than ours often is, which is to push that person away and be angry. His, his stance was to state the truth and then love that person so much that he went to the cross for that person. So I think it's a, great. Another way that cutting off nose and having some small rows is that if you're trying to attract birds and you have bread, you don't just throw the loaf at them. You give them little pieces. Um, so I think our approach, yeah, could be, um, it could be true, but also be loving. I think that's the goal. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on that, Dalia. And again, we didn't discuss our answers beforehand, but I think our eldership here has done a really, really good job of being inclusive and fostering an, an accepting um, environment here. And that's really, really important. I think people need to feel, centers need to feel welcome to come here. But we also don't need to lose sight of biblical doctrine. And I think that's a really... Um, constant tug and pull. I'd like to just uh, echo what both of them said. Well, I think that's uh, outstanding. And then just also maybe underscore that we're not very evangelistic. And in fact, I have seen statistics recently that demonstrate that uh, churches of Christ are shrinking. The population is growing. We are shrinking. Less churches less Christians as a whole, particularly in the United States. In other parts of the world, we're doing okay, but we don't have the evangelistic fervor that we need to have. Okay, well, I may as well jump into the most difficult question. Um, you know, they say you should never discuss religion or politics, and obviously we discuss religion. It's church. We're going to discuss politics. I'm trying to do it in a sensitive way, but I do think as we talk about uh, differences between generations, I, that's one of the first things that my mind goes to. And if this starts to go badly, I'll just skip to the next question. Um, so it seems, and this may be the first part, is you may disagree with this statement, but it seems that millennials care less about politics than previous generations. I think polls would, would bear that out, at least that we express that we care less. Um, I guess my question is, why do you think that is? I don't know who wants to touch this one. Michael's going for it. I'll jump in. Uh, <coughs> Well, first, I don't necessarily agree with the premise. I, I um, on the contrary, and this is, I don't have any polls to back it up. I just, uh, and, and going from the gut here, I, I think that millennials actually care more and are more entrenched in politics today than maybe previous generations, short of 
an 18-year-old that may be about to be drafted to go to war, that individual is hypersensitive to politics. But short of that, I think this generation probably cares more about politics at this age than prior generations. That's my opinion. Uh, but walking down, let's say the premise is correct. I, I mean, the generation today, millennials, they're seeing the politics as this Democrats and Republicans, right wing, left wing, have migrated so far right and so far left, and nobody's working together hand in hand. Literally, if there's, if there's mixed Congress, nothing gets passed. So that's what this young generation is seeing. And they're seeing um, instances where popular vote, that individual doesn't win the presidency. And I'm not opining as to whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying a millennial generation is seeing this, and they could easily become disenfranchised with politics as a whole. Um, well, let me ask this then. Let me ask the follow-up. Um, do you feel that, so you think the emphasis is actually greater? Uh, I do. Would anyone disagree? Does anyone feel like people are less engaged with it? With politics? Mm -hmm. I don't find that so. Yeah. I don't find that so. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it maybe that traditionally, so this is, this is why the question's posed, um, do you feel like that political belief systems are different among church members, among generations, or do you think it's all the same and just there's always a cycle among generations? Well, talking to church members that I associate with, I think we're pretty similar. So I haven't, I don't know about the younger ones. Okay. I, don't, I think that's a shame too. Yeah. You know, that I haven't talked with them about it, but I think my general, what am I anyway? Am I meeting? Uh, <laughs> what, somebody born in the 30s, what is that? Uh, that'd be the greatest Oh, I'm the greatest. Yeah. Are you speaking that? You're the Yes. Yes. Um, my goodness, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, Dudley, I know you kind of engage politics a lot. Do you think there's some difference between the generations and the way that they engage in politics? <clears throat> I'm going to answer a different question. Okay. <laughs> what question do you have? So, I think the, the question is, should there be a reduced emphasis on politics? Um, and I don't know if it's a, a reduced emphasis. I, I kind of agree. I think the data does show that millennials, if you look just at the 2016 election, did turn out at a less frequent uh, number now. I don't know if you compared the other generations back when they were their millennial age. If that's different, um, but I think it's it's incorrect to say that Christians should avoid politics. I think you go back to the Old Testament. You look at uh, some of the greatest men, greatest Christian apologists. They they were involved in politics. <coughs> I think on the other side of that to, is to say you can also go back to the Old Testament and see that all those political regimes are no longer. And so I think you've got to kind of recalibrate where you put your ultimate hope. Thankfully, our ultimate hope is not in Nashville, Tennessee. It's not in Washington, D.C. I think to answer or add on what somebody said over there, if you were to take, and this, sadly I think this is true, if you were to take a transcript of our conversations from Monday to Saturday and you were to control F, try to find the number of mentions of Jesus Christ versus Donald Trump or Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi, I think that Jesus Christ wouldn't be in the top three spots. Uh, and so maybe we should, in my opinion, is we should recalibrate our approach. And instead of having a top-down view of politics from a Christian worldview, you should have a, 
a bottoms-up approach to politics. You can't legislate morality. Uh, government policy can't change the heart of people. Only the gospel can do that. And so I think if we want to see the change, if we really want to desire the change that we say we do, um, your involvement in politics should be that it is important, but it's not ultimately and eternally important. Great. Yeah, you got a retort to We that. need to remember that our hope is not in an alpha or a donkey, but in a lamb. Amen. That's great. you have something? Well, in Deuteronomy, going back to the Old Testament, the many, many times um, that is mentioned, um, as well as the re resident aliens, orphans, and the widows in your town, I mean, there's an emphasis in the law about the underprivileged in our society. And so I think our reflection of our politics should reflect that view um, and a Christian view. And so, you know, wherever you stand. So I think the assumption shouldn't be that when we walk through the doors here that we are a donkey or we're an elephant, but that we're Christian and that our view is to um, serve and be a servant in whatever way that shape or form that takes is up to the individual. Yeah, I think it's great. Do you have something to add? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that it may be the students <laughs> that I have are somewhat different, although there are a variety of ages, but the 20-somethings and even 30-somethings I've been teaching for the past few years, I, I would say the observation that there's a lower emphasis on politics uh, would be correct in terms of saying that I've heard from a number of them that think our generation is too allied with America and Christianity, rising or falling, going together. And I think that disconnect between America and Christianity uh, is becoming more and more obvious and can be a good thing that we focus on the kingdom of God and not on whether America represents that and it's moving forward with that. That went better than I expected, so let's just, let's just stop it there. Um, obviously a sensitive topic, but I don't think it should be. I think it's only a sensitive topic if you most identify as a political person. I think if you most identify as a Christian, then it, it should follow sort of like what Dudley said, that you, know, you, can, you can vote, you can be active in government, you can run for government positions, um, but it should be always first as the identity as a Christian and as a follower of Christ. The Old Testament's a great example of people, you know, yearning for a more tangible leader. They want a judge, they want a king, just like everyone else. And we see how that worked out. <laughs> um, not that it, it was the end of the world, I mean, you know, and sometimes it was, and sometimes there were good kings, but mostly there were bad kings. Um, and I think it's about continuing to identify as a Christian first. So, great answers, and I'm going to move on. Um, so we're going to go into a little bit on marriage and parenting. I think that's another obvious thing that would come up as we think about differences in generations and things that we hope to learn from you guys. And so we're going to start with the Hope class. Uh, what's something you now, uh, sorry, that you know now that you wish you had realized sooner about marriage and parenting? Well, I'll talk. Okay, that's all right. Um, and I know why we don't have older people teaching younger people. It's because nobody wants to admit they're old. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> um, I wish what I had married. I remember my mother saying, when you have a spat and you get mad at Bill, don't you think you'd come home to me because 
I'm, I'm not going to take your side. And I thought, is she crazy? I could never be mad at that man. Well, it didn't have too long before reality set in. And he had quirks I hadn't seen before. And one day when some of those quirks were kind of magnifying themselves, I didn't even like the man. And I thought, how could I marry this man? I mean, I felt no love. <laughs> and I learned right then it's commitment that keeps people together. Because feelings come and go. And if, I think that in the generation maybe that we have now, when they get those bad feelings, they just want to walk out. But my mom told me I couldn't come home, so that wasn't a choice. But she never talked to me about murder. <laughs> So did you murder her? <laughs> no, we had 60 wonderful years, okay. but I had some hard lessons to learn. Oh, sure, that was great, thank you. I, uh, I grew up, uh, uh, my parents divorced when I was four, and I was concerned that uh, I didn't have a good example of being a husband and uh, ultimately a father. And so I was very concerned that I would screw that up really badly. Um, turns out that it was only a little bad, not really badly, badly, um, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, do you recall our first argument after we were married? We argued over where to put the silverware drawer in our apartment. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not going to work out. But uh, ultimately did. So uh, don't worry so much, I think would be my advice. Yeah. Great. And the importance of community. You know, the, your church family, the friends that you make. You're not by yourself in this. Um, there are people around that if you ask, what do I do about this child that won't listen to me or is so stubborn? There's, there's people that have gone through it. And that can help you. So use use the community around you. I want to add one other thing. Of course. Um, don't ever criticize as younger people your mate to your parents. You'll get over whatever you're spouting about, but they may not. They'll remember it. So if my, my I don't think my parents ever knew that I disagreed with Bill on anything. I did. <laughs> but I didn't run home to mom and dad and tell him. Um, and, and I think that also goes to uh, friends. Just, you keep some things to yourself. Now, if you have a problem and you need help, I think you need to talk about it. But there are too many times we just want to spout out some of their faults, and we just need to keep that to ourselves. That's great. Let's shift over to this question, kind of related with the Bridge Builders. Uh, what are your biggest concerns or questions about marriage and parenting? I guess he doesn't want to answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I think for us, it was, we were married five years before we had kids, and it was so fun, and we had a great time, and did whatever we wanted. It was awesome. And so when we had kids, we were worried that we wouldn't have fun again, or we'd never have time together again, and um, I think that was scary for me, just, I didn't want to raise children and then look at him and be like, oh, who, who are you? Um, so, that was our concern, but my parents, there, uh, always modeled vacationing together when we were kids, they made it work. They would take part of us to one grandmother and part of us to the other. And 
they just did it and they knew it was important to spend time together. And now they still vacation for like four weeks at a time. So it's possible to look into the future and know that you'll still have fun um, if you make the time together. So that was a concern, but they're modeling a great example for us. Uh, I have two big fears, and maybe they coincide with each other, but one of mine is that I uh, paved the road for my kid versus preparing them for the road. And um, another is that my kids look like every other kid in their school, and I think we're meant to be called apart and to look like aliens in this world. And um, my fear is that my fear of them not fitting in is going to... Um, be detrimental to them essentially. Right. Yeah. I would say a, a big fear of mine is that um, my relationship with my spouse changes from spousal to more um, partner co-parenting. Kind of like what you guys were saying. Like I don't want to just look up one day and realize that I don't have a romantic partner whom I love. I just have someone who we're parented together. So trying to avoid that. Yeah, great stuff. I think for kids, you want comfort. It's hard to watch kids be in pain. Um, and I, I don't think that's... In the same sense that in a church, it's easy to like want comfort. Like We don't want to be called out on the things that we're not doing correctly, and we don't want to be challenged with difficult questions that we may have... I may have thought about this issue wrong for 20 years. Like We don't want that. In a similar sense, we don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. We don't want them to be unpopular. Um, but oftentimes, those desires are not what God desires for them. And I think that's, that's a difficult thing. So um, obviously we're connecting now that we have people who know a lot more about parenting and marriage with those who know less, we'll admit that. Um, so hopefully there's some more dialogue. This is a question, I'm not gonna get into this one, but I do wanna share it because I thought it was, was good. This is from a Hope class member that said, how can older church members help younger members who may not have family nearby to call on? Um, and I, I think it's just to sort of throw that out there. Um, I will say that for the first few years here, we didn't have family in town. It was very difficult. Um, then I look at the flats, they have both sets of parents, and how easy it's been for them. Um, but I think there is that potential for you know, a connection there between our two groups, is that there are definitely couples in need of a lot of things in the Ridge Builders class. And I think oftentimes when you mentor someone, you help someone, you learn a lot from that too. So. Just want to say that those connections are there. I do want to do this question. What's your favorite memory at Highland? If you want to kind of share something quickly about that, I'm interested to hear some favorite memories. We'll start with Oak Class, and we just ended with Bridgewater. My favorite memories here, besides the baptism of my children, thank you, Alan, for one of those, um, is uh, being involved with work camp and the youth group, and, and, and that. It, it sort of reassures you as you're getting older that the younger generation coming up, they're valuable people, they're good people, we're all gonna be okay. So I think those are some of the um, best memories that I have here. That's great. Uh, actually, we had our kids over yesterday, we practiced these questions. <laughs> and we asked our favorite answers were, um, I don't remember them. Mine was, um, we had a um, father-daughter banquet when uh, Laura was uh, 14, I guess, something like that. And I'd never heard of the concept before. And um, I thought it was 
fabulous. And guys got up and spoke, and we were crying. It was unbelievable. Um, but it was just a really revelatory thing to see uh, fathers connecting with their daughters. Mm. I, I thought it was fabulous. It's great. Well, I'm fairly new, so I don't have a lot of memories, but I will say how grateful I am to be accepted like I was at Holland. I'd always been told that when you go to a congregation and you don't have children and you've lost your mate, you just don't ever fit in because they've got their cliques already and you're just an outsider. But I haven't found that true, and I'm very thankful. Well, it might just be that you're a fun person to be around, you know. So for those that aren't fun to be around, it's maybe more of a challenge. <laughs> I didn't know you were new here. How, how long have you been here? I'm starting my fifth year. Fifth year, okay. Now? Yeah. Uh, the baptism of, of my daughters, which happened to both be on the same day. It's very meaningful. And then opportunities that we all have to be together uh, transcending the separate services and the separate classes. Uh, one of my favorite memories in the past uh, was when a lot of people used to come on Sunday night. We only had one service then. We were all combined and uh, praise God together. Great. Yeah, uh, so my favorite memory of Highland is from a time when I wasn't even a Highland member. I was a member locally at another church, but it was those work camp weeks. And I know you guys have heard all about them, but those are some of the most spiritually transformative weeks that I've ever been a part of. So I didn't grow up at Highland, but uh, my favorite memory is actually before I was a, a member. And uh, so there was a late Wanda Kimbrough who now lives in Nashville, she went to high school with my dad. And so when she found out that I was marrying Michael, someone from Memphis, she decided to have a couple's wedding shower for us. And so um, I came in town for that and <laughs> Bubba Edwards came to it. Debbie was out of town. My dad would not be caught dead at a wedding shower. Like he would totally have used like my mom being out of town as an excuse to not come. But like that just really made an impression on me that he took the time to come on his own, and like now he's the one that takes care of my children, so, like Cool. I would have absolutely used, used that sentence, so no. <laughs> um, It's funny we didn't talk, but mine has to do with work camp also. Um, I grew up here, so I have lots of favorites, but the one that stands out the most is one summer, we painted houses in Soulsville, which is, near the Stacks Museum, if you haven't been down there at school. But the owner of our house played the drums. He was really a drum player. And he would come out and practice. His drum set was outside, and so he'd come outside and practice all day. And so he would talk to us and then go practice some more, but we had music from him all day. And it just was like the culture of the neighborhood. And he told us stories, and um, he, we were you know hot and sweaty, but he just wanted to be out there and play music for us, and it was really, really fun. It's awesome. Um, I actually, uh, as a seventh grader, came from Jonesboro, Arkansas, over my first experience with Highland was work camp. So we did one year, there was a shooting down the street from one of the houses, so we took our kids and we started our own work camp in Jonesboro. Um, <laughs> so I think some parents, some parents are pretty concerned. Uh, but that was great, Jonesboro work camp was a thing, I think for you know a decade or longer, so. Let's keep doing that. We have two questions left. I, I, I kind of want to press our luck and see if we can get through them. Um, maybe just a couple answers from each, but what, what has been uh, or what have been your most effective spiritual disciplines or habits over the years? 
I guess it's sort of directed at the whole class, but obviously we have spiritual disciplines too. But what, what has been helpful in that way? This may not be exactly what you're getting at, but uh, let me plug the uh, graduate school. Um, I've audited a couple courses with Rick Oster and with Alan Black, and they've been fabulous. Um, I highly recommend it. That's great. And in that vein, um, I, for some reason, thought taking Greek would be a good idea at the graduate school and, and did that for a couple years. And, and just having something disciplined, I mean, something that right. makes you accountable, I find to be very helpful. That's awesome. Well, I think that quiet time early in the morning before anybody else gets up to be alone with God is really important. One thing that's really helped my prayer life is uh, just keeping lists of things that I want to pray for and keeping a, uh, a fairly complete list. And because I, my mind wanders and I forget. I tell people, oh, I'm going to pray for you, and then I don't. And that's helping a lot. That's great. Do y'all have some? Uh, I, I guess mine would be just regularly reading the Word. Um, that's probably led me to experience the most growth spiritually, is just constantly, not, not specifically targeting, oh, I want to look for this or that, but just going wherever the Spirit leads me. Um. I keep a journal, and I could call it a prayer journal. I write a lot of things down when I pray about it, but I also just write scriptures that are meaningful to me at the time. I'm like you, Dr. Black. I need, I need something tangible, otherwise I just feel like it's kind of rhyming around in my head, and I don't ever do something specific or intentional with it. So um, that's tangible and helpful to me. Okay, we're going to pass at the end. All right, um, it's good stuff. I think the most exceptional people I know are authors that I read. They all wake up early, pretty much, and they all take time intentionally to sort of plan out their day and think through those things. And um, I think I've read something recently, maybe David, David had shared this about uh, Bible reading as being the most predictive of someone remaining faithful over time. So yeah, I think those are great things. Uh, we'll finish with this question, then I have a couple Bible verses that I wanna share, but uh, what are some ways that Holland can improve its commitment to generational Christianity? So obviously this is sort of a new Thing for us is David's idea, as far as I understand, just to kind of get together. And I realize it makes probably some people uncomfortable. Maybe some people have opted out, but I think it's been really beautiful and really great. And I think we're going to try and do it again with some other classes and encourage your class to do the same. But uh, what are some ways that we can improve on that commitment to being together as different generations? I don't know how the reach groups are formed. I've been here four years and I've been in the same one. But I've been in congregations where every year they're switched up. Mm -hmm. And if you mixed, I'm, I mean, all the people in mine are older. So if you mix them up with younger people and older, I think that would be a step forward. That's great. Anyone else? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's interesting that um, in no other aspect of our life do we um, learn or become better at something by hanging out with somebody that's our same age. So throughout like education, there's always somebody in the room that's older than you that has this wisdom that's teaching you facts. When you get your first job, you're usually typically working under someone who's been in that profession for longer because 
I think David mentioned this um, in the first week, was there's a difference between facts and knowledge and wisdom. And there's a lot of people in our age group that have a lot of facts and knowledge and, and one day will be wise. And I think, but to say that the church is the one place where you can, we can mutually be mutually beneficial for a bunch of 32 year olds to sit in the same room and learn about the Bible because it's a little naive. And so even if you come to the early service, you know, we go to the one where there's smoke and lights and, you know, all this stuff. But even if you were to come into the early There's one, not smoke. I just want to clarify. <laughs> Someone's out. What's our budget on smoke? <laughs> um, but I think it, it can't just be sitting in the same room either. So I think there are points. There's got to be a point where we're sharing each other. We do this thing on Wednesday night with a marriage uh, group where there are two older couples. And we're actually sitting around in a circle sharing actively sharing and listening and I think that that has been beneficial for us it's not that we're just you know there's no if I sit next to somebody that's 50 years my senior I'm not going to pick up what they have you have to be interaction this doesn't need to be their exception this needs to be the rule stuff like this it's great um, I think if we could find ways for our generations to serve together that, that would be good because when you do small groups and classes then your kids, or you have to find a place for your kids to go, or you know, you ship your kids off somewhere else so that you can actually have meaningful, you know, conversation. But at the same time, I don't like. I want my kids to also have relationship with older generations. My my favorite people to see when I go back home are like I rarely see my friends from high school, but like I'm excited to see those older people who took a vested interest in me. Um, and I think maybe serving together is one of the ways that we can do it as families. And sure. Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things about Highland, and I'll let you comment, is that we do have autonomy to kind of do what we want. I mean, I get to lead a class to some degree, and we get to teach whatever we want. I think the challenge in that is when you have liberty, there's the opportunity that you don't do anything with it. You know, So I think it's contingent upon the leaders and part, you know, on, the, on the members, too, to encourage us to do things that are meaningful and that that actually push us to do more. One of my favorite memories as a church member growing up in Jonesboro was going to sing Christmas carols at a nursing home. We may have done it like one time, but I remember being surrounded by older people and people I wasn't around, and then obviously in, a, in an environment with people that don't get a lot of attention and how meaningful that was. So, go ahead, Alan. I was just gonna suggest uh, from our three weeks together, if you're an older couple here that's met a younger couple or vice versa, you could uh, go beyond this class and spend a little time together, perhaps a meal in your home or out to eat. And the older ones could pay. There were vice versa, you could go Dutch. Uh, I think we'll end with that, I think that's great. I did want to read, so there's a little photo of our group. I want to read a couple verses, because I think the point, I think this is obvious, but the point is that God desires unity for his church. How can we be unified if we don't know even 80% of the church. You know, if we only know our little crew, and that's you know 14 and a half percent, how do how do we really be unified as a church? I think obviously the longer you're away from someone, the easier it is to assume things about them that aren't necessarily fair. And so that's why when you're separated, and we talk about politics, you're separated from people that think differently, and that separation gets greater and greater, then you get more and more hateful, and you care less and less about unity with those people. Um, so a few verses, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Ephesians 4, for him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so obviously different generations 
are like different parts of the body in some ways. We're different stages, and yet we all work together. Um, and we're best if we work together uh, in the same way, so in love, and that we each do our own part. I like this verse from Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I don't know who the low position people are. I'm going to assume it's millennials or the low position people. I think it's true that we view age as a thing that makes us lower in certain ways. And so uh, some people view old as, as being lower and some people view being young as being lower. And I don't think God sees it as that. And so I think uh, in some sense we're all people of low position as it pertains to God. Um, but we shouldn't be proud or think that we're better because we're younger. And you shouldn't be proud because you think you're better because you're older. Um, and then this verse, I think, ties it all together from Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so in this sense, spiritually, we're all children. So whether you feel like you're older or younger or you're somewhere in between, the truth is we're all one. We're all children. We're all God's children. Um, and I think that should be the thing that really unites us as we move forward, uh, that we're all one in Christ. And so whatever other identities we have, that we're young, we're old, that we're an accountant, that we're a dentist or a cardiologist or we're a Democrat or Republican or, or whatever, that those identities really fall to the wayside. Our identity is that we're in Christ. So I think we'll wrap with that. I really appreciate you all. I can't believe we got through all the questions. That's a miracle in itself. So thank you to everyone on the panel. If you want to do a round of applause for them, that would be great. And we will dismiss. Y'all have a great day. Thanks, guys. Y'all were awesome. I had that one. Okay, so that is it for our panel. And that is it for our three weeks on generational Christianity. I realize if you're just following along with the podcast, you missed the second week. We just weren't able to podcast that, unfortunately. But man, I just have to say, this went as well as I could have possibly hoped. I thought it was an excellent panel. I'm not exactly sure how well it recorded. And so if you've still stuck around, I guess that means that it was good enough that you could hear and follow along. But uh, I really wish you could have been there in person. It was very, very good. I just want to thank everyone who was a panel member for doing such, such an excellent job for prepping in advance and for just being so thoughtful with your answers. So on the Bridge Builder side, to the Carters, and to the Maxwells, and on the Hope Class side, to Alan, to Peggy, and to the Bontragers, sincerely thank you. It was very good. Um, so we will leave with that. Uh, next week we're going to be back in the Bridge Builders class with a series. It's a DVD series. on. It's called I Can Only Imagine. It's actually the, the author of that song, the one who wrote it and who sings it. Um, and it's a really incredible four-week DVD series. I'm not sure that we'll be podcasting it because I don't know that it will really translate very well. Uh, but if we feel like we can, then, then we will. So we'll see. So we'll either be off for four weeks or we'll be back in a week with uh, maybe a little bit shorter podcasts discussing through that DVD series. Um, I appreciate you for listening. If you're in the Memphis area on Sundays, definitely consider coming and spending some time with us, uh, whether that's with the Hope class or the Bridge Builders class. Uh, we'd love to get to know you and to spend some time learning about God together. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in to the Holland Bridge Builders podcast. Have a good one. Bye-bye.